Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 67 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. And we're done with our Easter speaker series, and you're stuck with me at least for a couple more weeks. I do want to announce that this is episode 67, and this is one of four remaining episodes. We are going to end the Calm Words for Anxious Hearts podcast series at episode number 70. Now, I'll have more to say about that in the coming weeks, and it's not the end of podcasts, it's not the end of our digital ministry, but it is going to be the end of this particular series. And so for the next three episodes, episodes 67, 68, and 69, I want to do a little series on lessons from the pandemic. I'm calling it Looking Back to Help Us Look to the Future. And each one of these episodes is going to begin with both a reading from Scripture and also a simple but complex theological idea or lesson that I've learned from the past year. So let me start with today's simple but complex idea. The pandemic has taught me that interdependence is better than independence and in the deep value of trusting in God's work when my work stops or dries up and that the more that I understand the larger body I'm a part of and the largeness of the God I worship, the more I will feel humility, joy, and what Paul calls a sober judgment about the many things happening around me as I reaffirm my deep need for others in the body of Christ. That is a long sentence, but that is my simple but complex idea. Let's start with the reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the exhorter and exhortation, the giver and generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate and cheerfulness. Here ends the reading. Now, even though the memory of this is a little bit jumbled, I do remember as a child sitting in a church and being told something along these lines. 
God has no hands but your hands, no eyes but your eyes, no feet but your feet. Perhaps you've heard the whole God has no hands but your hands talk before. And of course, there's a reason we say such things. There is something that is true and valuable about this saying. But today I want to give you the other side of the story. And the other side of the story, the more cynical side of me, says that this is actually the oldest trick in the book that we preachers keep up our sleeve to get people more involved in the church or maybe to get them into action. And of course, there's a good idea behind this saying, namely that Christ is present to the world primarily through his church, his body, that is through men and women whom God calls to continue Jesus' work of healing and blessing and loving the world. And this, of course, is absolutely true, and I support it. But, you know, I'm still not a big fan of the whole God has no hands but your hands talk, because whenever that talk comes to an end, I'm always left feeling like God has a big to-do list. You know, lots of things that God wants to accomplish and that if my hands and my eyes and my feet don't step up to the plate, well, then God is fresh out of luck. Or, right, whenever a pandemic hits, let's go back 14 months ago, and we're told that the most loving thing we can do is actually to keep our hands away from people and to do nothing Well, if nothing else, I think a moment like that reveals the deep limitation of the worldview, which would say that whenever my hands stop working, God's work halts as well, because that is certainly not the case. And so whenever I look back on that first time, I was told that God was dependent on my hands to do God's work. I just, you know, I get a little upset. You know, to begin with, I was six years old at the time. I was not quite ready to take on such a large assignment or responsibility. But more than that, the whole God has no hands but your hands talk, it just, again, left me with the impression that following Jesus is something God needs, like a chore that has to get done. And this picture of following Jesus has never made a whole lot of sense to me personally. Because I've always had this intuition that what you and I do as human beings is the most holy whenever it's motivated not by need or duty or even responsibility, but rather by love and wisdom and beauty. And so the reason I wanted to start with this passage from Romans today is that it's really Paul's effort to explain what the body of Christ is all about. If it's not us having the hands that God depends on to get things done, what is it really about? And that's what this passage tries to speak to. And you see, the background here is that Paul is writing this letter to a really anxious grab bag of both Jews and Gentiles, to a community that is really really wrestling with the differences between them, Half of the church is ethnically Jewish, and since Jesus was Jewish and the apostles were Jewish and the Jewish Christians have come to believe that God values their hands and their eyes and their feet a lot more than their Gentile neighbors. And of course, the Gentiles, they feel superior to the Jewish Christians because they're the latest insiders to God's grace. They're the people who have been grafted in 
to use Paul's language from Romans chapter 9. And so the Gentiles in the Roman church are also looking down on the Jewish Christians. And both groups tend to think their hands and their eyes and their feet are the most important, that God needs them the most. And so what Paul has really been trying to do in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans is in a loving way to cut both groups down to size and to give them a proper perspective on what it means to be the body of Christ. And here is the gist of what Paul has said thus far. If you read Romans 1 through 11, he said that God's kingdom is not dependent at all upon the work that either group is doing, has done, or can do. And so to the Jews and the Gentiles, Paul says the exact same thing, namely that the body of Christ is not built on the work of your hands, your eyes, or your feet at all. And so for this reason, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, what Paul is claiming is that all that we are, all that we have, our very existence is a gift from God. It is a gift. And then Paul takes it one step further. He claims that we have all been given different gifts. And so far from claiming that God needs our hands, that God needs our eyes, that God needs our feet, Paul is claiming that we need each other's hands, that we need each other's eyes, that we need each other's feet if we are going to fully reflect Christ to this world. And to fully reflect Christ to this world, Paul says, is what the body of Christ is all about. And to be a member of this body, he argues, is the greatest gift one can receive. And so it goes without saying that God does not depend or need his own gifts to do his work. Now, of course, there is a catch, which is this. There is still so much work to be done, and you and I know that. After all, the good creation that God has made is fallen. You and I live in a world where revenge comes much easier than reconciliation, where grudges come easier than forgiveness, and where lies come easier than truth. In other words, our world has forgotten how to love, meaning there really is some work that needs to be done. But if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's that God does not need us to do God's work and that no one has to do God's work because at the heart of the Christian gospel is our belief that God himself is at work and that God has always been at work and that God will continue to be at work until the creation God loves is completely restored. But again, if the pandemic has taught us anything where we have really just had to stop for about 12 months. And now we're reflecting on that because many of us are doing more than we were in previous months as we've been vaccinated and as numbers change. But as we reflect on probably a whole year of doing very little, if not nothing, I think that we have to say that God obviously doesn't need us to build his kingdom. 
But the beauty of Christianity is that God's grace is revealed in the fact that God nevertheless chooses human beings like you and me to accomplish his work and to reflect his goodness back to the creation. And this is really what the story of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve is all about. It's about God wanting his wise, creative, and loving presence to be reflected, to be imaged to this world through human beings. And for those human beings to know that it is the greatest gift alive to participate in that work. And of course, whenever something went radically wrong, part of our Christian narrative says that God's the one who acted through Jesus's hands to get this project back on track. And so again, the body of Christ, it's all about the privilege and the gift of participating with God in God's work to get the world back on track, to live in a world filled with justice and reconciliation and peace. And so to go back to this reading from Romans we started with, you know, Paul is writing to a community divided by difference. And Paul's audience, both Jews and Gentiles, they assume that their differences are an obstacle to doing God's work. But I want you to notice Paul claims just the opposite. Rather than being divided by difference, Paul is urging the church at Rome. Paul is urging the body of Christ. And Paul is urging us as we think about regathering in the coming months to be united and energized by our difference. He writes, For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. And then he says, We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, not all of us are going to participate in God's work of restoring our world in quite the same way. And we're all going to reflect God to our world a little bit differently. And this difference is a good and necessary thing. And no matter how we go about doing this work in our life, we have to know that it is a gift that we are engaged in and not something that God needs. And so the question I want to ask us today for this podcast is not, what's your spiritual gift? You know, that's not a bad question to ask, but I think there's one that we should probably ask first, and that's, what's your passion? What's your passion? Now, it may take some time and prayer and wrestling to answer this question well, Uh, After all, it's easy to become numb to our passions, and our passion may need to be recovered. But each of us as a human being is a unique bundle of desires and hopes and interests and dreams. You know, we all care about some things more than others, and that is a good and holy thing. And so what is it that you care about most deeply? What is your passion Because in the coming weeks, in the coming months, as we as a church emerge from this pandemic, our work is to reconnect, to reconnect to each other, to reconnect to the church, to reconnect to our building, to reconnect to in-person worship, and yes, even to reconnect to our passion. Frederick Buechner once said that our vocation in the church is that place where our greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. 
Now that is probably somewhat of an oversimplification, but I really love the idea that our role in the body of Christ is always connected to our greatest joy. Because again, participation in the body of Christ, it's not like mowing our lawn or doing our taxes. It's not about doing some chore that God needs to get done. No, it's always about delight. It's always about a gift. It's always about the joy of knowing that actually God doesn't need us. God loves us. And it is that love that's going to reconnect all of us together and all of our difference in the coming months as we emerge out of this pandemic and take steps towards a more normal incarnation of our life as a church. And so don't think that I'm going to end this by telling you that God has no hands but yours, no eyes but yours, no feet but yours, because that's simply not true. Um, God's project to get our world back on track, to restore all things to himself, amen, that is moving ahead regardless of whether or not we participate. But what I will say is this, that there is no finer gift and no finer joy than participating in that work, and that God has given all of us different gifts to contribute to that larger work of healing and blessing and loving that God cares so deeply about. And God has given us the privilege of using not just our hands and our eyes and our feet, but also our hearts and our minds and our imagination to work with God in really creative ways that cause us great joy and that benefit other people. And since none of us have the market cornered on spiritual gifts God has given us each other's hands and each other's eyes and each other's feet to fully reflect Christ to the world. And I would say that our joy and our opportunity in the coming months is to reconnect to each other's hands, to reconnect to each other's passions, to reconnect to all the beautiful difference embedded in our community as we re-enter life together. And so to go back to the very simple but complex idea we started with for this podcast, I would say that one lesson from the pandemic for me is that interdependence is so much better than independence. And I've learned the deep value of trusting in God's work whenever my work stops or changes or dries up. And I've learned that the more that I understand the larger body I'm a part of and the largeness of the God that I worship, the more that I will feel humility, joy, and what Paul calls a sober judgment about all the things happening around me. And above all else, the more I will reaffirm my deep need for others.